This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. Our world has a very complicated relationship with change, doesn't it? That's at least been my observation. I think when it comes to change, uh, some of us, we tend to embrace it. Some of us maybe just don't mind it. And some of us, just by nature, we just tend to resist it, right? Um, And I also seem to find that no matter where you might be at on one of those three things or that continuum, uh, that people tend to favor change that they count as their change, right? Change where in some form or fashion, maybe it's large, maybe it's small, uh, that they can have some kind of ownership of, so that then depending on how all that goes, uh, we tend to put a bit of a spin on how we communicate that change, don't we? We tend to spin it, depending on whether or not we have ownership, whether or not we like it, whether or not you know, we thought it was a good idea. Uh, we, we, we can all kind of feel that pull to communicate change by turning it to a side that fits us best. It's kind of like having a, a pot or a vase uh, that, that actually has a, has a crack in it on the other side. <laughs> that uh, when guests come over, we like to turn it to the, to the shiny side. And when they leave and we want to talk to our spouse about how we really need to buy a new vase, we turn it back to the crack side, Right? I didn't crack my wife's face just for this example, just for the record. Um, it was that way when I found it. Uh, but, uh, but that's how we, we operate, how we like to communicate change. We have an interesting relationship, a complicated relationship with change. And when it comes to personal change, it seems to me like those complications tend to grow, they seem to get bigger, that at one end you might kind of approach personal change out of our society's very deep value of acceptance, of acceptance. So whatever the change might be, that the most important issue is its unconditional acceptance. That's what our everyday slogans about love is love or you be you are all about. That whether your pot is cracked or shiny, that whether you keep it or replace it, you are to be considered perfect just the way you are. If you decide to make that change or not, you're awesome either way. Or at least, that's what we like to say on the outside. When in reality, we know how incredibly self-conscious the average person is, and if we were honest, we are. And that's why then we place this huge, incredible value on unconditional acceptance, right? Now, on the other end of the spectrum, you might like to approach change through the self-made man, the self-made woman approach, the Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life approach, the you're the owner, you're responsible for changing your life, the you're awesome because you did make the change approach. So you are pretty good, pretty healthy, a pretty well-managed person. 
as long as you're able to keep that up, you're in good shape, right? It's the value of self-effort rather than acceptance. It's all in the same spectrum. Because obviously, you know, there's, there's no constant striving, no fear of failure, <laughs> no pride involved in that approach. I mean, maybe a little bit. I'm just speaking from personal experience here, you know, but, right? That's where we're at. And that's oftentimes the one of two angles that we approach change. But you know what I find to be incredible about these approaches and and other approaches as well is how easily we tend to adapt them into our faith. How easily we tend to try to just make them jive with our faith. We're fairly easily, uh, we try to blend these things right into our beliefs about the Christian life. That self-effort, self-acceptance are often how we approach change as a follower of Jesus, too. And we can become, then, experts at only making the changes that we feel ownership of. Those are the only ones that we're interested in, right? That we become experts, then, at, at turning the vase, the vase, to the shiny or cracked side, whichever side fits our needs best at the time. But you know what the great news is for a follower of Christ? There's a better way. And if you decide to become a follower of Christ, there's a better way. The way that actually has value at stopping this constant plunge into self-obsessed, a sinful and wrong way of doing things. And I'd like to show you that this morning from a passage of Scripture. And so if you turn in, in our Father's Word to the letter of Colossians, uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians in chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. You can find it on your smartphone too. Now obviously, um, I'm, actually I'm fairly certain about this. Uh, I don't think any of you probably have realized, but I've actually been walking us slowly through the book of Colossians this summer. And between uh, this Sunday and two more messages, we're actually going to finish the book uh, this summer. Uh, and But just so that we're all on the same page as to uh, where we're at in this particular letter in chapter 3, the the book of Colossians is the letter that was written by Paul, who was an apostle. An apostle means somebody who had uh, seen the risen Christ and was appointed as an uh, authority, as a leader in the early church. So that's who who wrote this and and why he wrote it. And and he wrote this letter to a group of Christians in a city uh, that he had actually never been to, uh, a a group of Christians he had never even met. Uh, Why he wrote the letter and and how he uh, goes about having the information to write it is because it was somebody on his team named Epaphras who actually founded the church there. And he had shared with Paul the situation that was brewing in this, in this little port city of Colossae and how people were trying to change the picture of who Jesus was and thus the implications of his absolute supremacy and authority and his message, what we call the gospel. And the result was that they, the people that were trying to make this shift, they were trying to create these other ways to be spiritual, uh, these other rules to follow in order to be good. And, 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 and they were trying to create these other ways of trying to kind of stem the tide of sin 
and its effects. But ultimately, all these different efforts, they were all man-made solutions to spiritual problems. They're man-made solutions to spiritual problems. And so Paul, at the end of chapter 2, right before our passage today, he speaks about these human precepts and teachings in verse 23, and he says, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, they're useless at making Genuine, good, helpful change to the real problem. They don't work. Man-made solutions to uh, spiritual problems don't work. Somebody should let Washington know about that, right? But it's a serious issue for the church in Colossae, as well it is today. Feeling accepted, trying really hard. It has and can have some kind of effect, but they don't fix the real problem. But there's a better way. There's a better way. So Paul goes into Colossians chapter 3, and he begins to unpack this for us. It says in verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, okay, so this applies to a follower of Jesus, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, That's a picture of Christ's complete authority. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. And here's why. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Underline that sentence right there. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Church, don't miss this. You died. When you became a Christian, you died. Not physically, but instead in a much more important sense. It was a death of the self that was a permanent yielding because of God's intervention in your life that forever means that your life is not primarily about you. It's not primarily about you. The one who holds all authority has now raised out of the ashes of your death to a new life with Christ. The one who holds all authority, Jesus, that was his work in your life. That's already the state of your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. That's the position of your life, which means that you already have it which means that you completely and utterly are forever accepted by God. You're completely accepted. You've been completely forgiven. You've been raised to a new life right where you're at. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's your state. That's the whole bit there about verse 3 where, where he says how, how your life is hidden with Christ in God. It seems like a little bit of a, a funny play of words. How is our life hidden? Well, the word hidden here is the idea of being secure, being secure. You can't be more secure or accepted by anyone more than when you are secure and accepted with Christ in God. But it's, it's not our world's version of acceptance because it wasn't based on you. 
It wasn't based on what you had done or hadn't done or what you chose to do or what you didn't choose to do. It wasn't based on you. Your complete acceptance was based on someone else. It was based on Jesus. It was based on his merits. It was based on what he chose to do. And through that, you were brought into a circle that you will never be thrown out of. You are completely, utterly accepted, church. I want to keep hammering that into us because we have a world that wants to secretly tell you you're accepted, but you're only accepted as long as you really do the things that we want you to do them in the way we want you to do them. But church, you've got something so much better. Christ has accepted you completely, fully, finally, and it hasn't been based on anything that was your own effort. It was based on Christ. While, while at the very same time that you are utterly accepted, you are also called to change. To seek and set your minds on things that are above, not on earth. Things like, think of Philippians 4, 8, where it talks about setting your minds on things that are above, things that are honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Things that are above. Those kinds of things. And to do that until Christ appears, and so we will also then appear with him in glory. So friends, that means the nature of Christian change is that the gospel changed you and calls for your change. The gospel has changed you, and it calls for your change. Write that down this morning. You have been permanently changed, and you are changing. That you already are and are not yet completely sanctified. You have been set apart, and you are being set apart. That's not an an either-or equation of effort or acceptance or some kind of combination of 50-50. No, it is 100% of both. It is 100% of both. The gospel changed you and it calls for your change. And that's what we're going to unpack this morning. Although mentally and maybe it feels like you're managing attention there, experientially, we see this all the time. It actually holds really very little difficulty for us. Imagine if you stepped out onto a football team this coming fall, some of you guys, I know Will, I think of Gavin right there and so forth. You're going to be stepping out into the football team. Imagine if the coach looked at you, Gavin, and he said, Gavin, this year you are starting for me on varsity. And Gavin's thinking, I already am. But you know, anyway, you're starting for me on varsity this year. And then the coach proceeds to coach you towards being a varsity player that you weren't ready to be yet. That's our state. Accepted and effort, acceptance and effort melded together completely. Now, personally, when that happened to me in high school, I got beat out later on by somebody else that took my spot. Metaphors break down, but that's not going to happen to you, okay? (laughs) We have something better. (laughs) You have a better coach. I don't know. You have a better player. (laughs) We have something better going on for us and with us. A gospel that has changed us, and it calls for your change. And that's a state of already and not yet. And that's where our life here on earth, as we become more like Christ and his holiness, is found until we cross the finish line into glory. 
And that idea and theme, then it's laced throughout the rest of this passage. This section where Paul keeps on then spelling out the implications of following Jesus that he already is, is, is laying out here. Uh, that, uh, the next part here, by the way, it's startling, but it's startling with a, a certain amount of clarity that catches us off guard. And so the Apostle Paul, he goes on in verse 5 here, and he begins to lay this out further. He says, put to death. Put to death, right? It doesn't get much more clear than that. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, right, as in the sense of lust, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them. So note there, this is not a random list. This isn't a random collection of items. These are the actual issues that this group of Christians were struggling with. He didn't assemble some random things to talk to them about. This is what was going on. It goes on, verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Here, there is neither Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. I want you to imagine with me, if you could somehow transform sin into something that you would wear. That's kind of the language that that Paul uses here. And I want you to imagine, you know, when we look at sin oftentimes in our life, it, it doesn't look so bad, right? From one angle. But if we were to go ahead and we were to start putting this on, we begin to realize that actually it's covered in filth. And that actually it doesn't fit so well. (laughs) That actually it's got all kinds of stuff in its pockets as you begin to to go through it. It's missing buttons. (laughs) That actually it's filthy. That actually it's disgusting. That on one end, when we look at stuff that Scripture calls as being wrong, it doesn't look so bad from an outside perspective. But when we begin to put it on, we begin to realize what it was really all about. We begin to realize the trap that we fell into. We begin to realize how filthy and wrong and horrible sin really is. And for a follower of Jesus Christ, that's what Paul is likening this to. But I want you to catch something here. The assumption of the Apostle Paul is that you're wearing it. He makes no assumption thinking that somehow this is somebody else's deal. The assumption is that you and I have got the jacket on right now and that we need to take it off. It's the assumption that we are dealing with this and that we need to put it to death. That there needs to be a conscious decision. And this is the case, by the way. Whatever your race or status or background might have been before coming to know Jesus, wherever you've come from, as a follower of Jesus Christ, the gospel has changed you, and it's calling for your change. Now, this is a family service, so I'm not going to say too much here about the sexual sin being pointed out in the passage. But we should catch here that the change that's being called for it is, 
It is internal and external. It is something that is verbal and something that's sexual. All those things are applying, and they're applying to everyone. Sometimes we like to grade our change, right? Our, our, our issues, we like to grade them next to someone else's. Somebody who's sitting next to us. That's who we like to compare ourselves to, not to Christ. We like to compare ourselves to other people, usually somebody who we know is, is doing worse than us. But that's not the biblical way. We are instead called to look at our sin and deal with it first and foremost. And that requires not comparison, but action. Not comparison, but action. Action, effort. That's what's being called for. And there's, a, there's an old tale from one of my favorite books, uh, Frog and Toad. Are you familiar with this book? The great stories. Uh, it captures our situation uh, perfectly. A toad has made some fantastic cookies. And uh, he decides that he's going to be a good neighbor, which we should all be, and share those wonderful cookies with somebody else. And, um, and so he goes on over to Frog's house, and he begins to give Frog some of these cookies, and they quickly begin to realize that they can't stop eating them, that they just keep on devouring them. And I, for one, can sympathize with their plight and their post-cookie guilt that began to set in. I'm sure I'm the only one. And for, and for the next part, they choose then to commit that they're only going to eat one more cookie. But even though they make that commitment to eat only one more, they can't seem to stop. And they soon realize that they have to take action to make it harder to get the cookies. Friends, our situation is similar. And let me tell you, action is required or consumption will continue. All right? Action is required or consumption will continue. And I know, we don't like the idea that God wants us to stop our obscene talk in the same way that he wants someone else to drop their illicit relationship. But he does. He does. And the call is to put it all to death. You might be saying to yourself, Pastor, that sounds kind of drastic. I hope it does, because that's what's being called for, something drastic. And I don't know what that actually might look like for you, but it might look like going home and pouring out some bottles. It might look like canceling a subscription or getting a new email or an electronic filter or even changing your gym, and yes, even your job. Remember the words of our Lord in Matthew 5, A hyperbole about plucking out eyes and cutting off hands if it means avoiding hell and gaining heaven. Friends, let nothing hold you back from following Christ. Nothing. And take the drastic action. Don't put it off. I know what it feels like to be sitting in church and be knowing exactly what that drastic action is and then to be thinking, let me not get too serious about this thought. Because the moment I walk out that door, I'll have an easier time talking myself out of it. Don't let your heart and mind go there. Make the choice. Make the commitment. And that's not the only thing that is needed. Because it's not just about what you put off, but it's also about what you put on. Look with me at verse 12 here. This final part. As the Apostle Paul in verse 12, he says this, Put on then, as God's chosen one, all right, somebody who's completely accepted and secure, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, 
kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all these, put on what? Love. Love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Friends, it's not just about what you are putting off, but it's about what we are then called to put on. We are called to not just take off what's wrong, but put on what is right. This is the idea that isn't just found in AA and other rehab programs. It was first found here in the, the book of Colossians. That it's not just about what you need to stop, but what you need to start. The change is not always easy. It's not always neat, but it will be good. God has called you to make the right change, and it will be good. Good because you are becoming more and more like who you were meant to be. And that's a glorious feeling to step into your own skin, to step into a way that is right and good. In 1883, the religious writer George F. Pentecost, if you can believe that last name, published the essay, Angel and Marble. He described an episode from his childhood when he knew a down-and-out sculptor who acquired a large piece of marble and he placed it in his studio. George recorded his conversation with the sculptor saying, Finally, I asked him, Mr. M, what are you going to make out of that? And looking up kindly into my face, he said, My boy, I'm not going to make anything out of it. I'm going to find something in it. I did not quite comprehend, but said, Why? What what are you going to find in it? He replied, There's a beautiful angel in the block of marble. I'm going to find it. All I have to do is knock off the outside pieces of marble and be very careful not to cut the angel with my chisel. In a month or so, you will see how beautiful she is. I think, friends, that that's a good picture for us. That the gospel has changed us and it's changing us in the sense of knocking off the outside pieces. The outside pieces that keep seeming to grow back. And as that happens, though, they begin to reveal the beautiful image on the inside that he's already placed there. That the contours of the new image are humility and forgiveness and love and compassion and patience and holiness. And all the while, you're accepted. You're loved unconditionally and entirely. The image of Christ given to you that, is already, that has already been fully accepted by God is there. It's just underneath. The image of Christ is just being revealed as our soul is formed and being molded. C.S. Lewis adds some beautiful color here to our thinking, writing that as a color first reveals its true quality when placed by an excellent artist in its pre-elected spot between certain others, as a 
spice reveals its true flavor when inserted just where and when a good cook wishes among the other ingredients. As a dog becomes really doggy only when he has taken his place in the household of man, so we shall then first be true persons when we have suffered ourselves to be fitted into our places. We are marble waiting to be shaped, metal waiting to be excuse me, run into a mold. Friends, it's not only about what you take off. It's about what you put on. What you're putting on. What are you putting on as a follower of Jesus? What are you putting on? Is there any forgiveness that you need to put on? Any love, humility, compassion? Because the God that created us knows what's best for us. And he knows and he blesses the choices to forgive and to love and to be humble and compassionate. We shine in those qualities precisely because they reveal the image of Jesus Christ in our lives that are being conformed in the sense of Romans 8.29. Now I'll know that although there's, there's certainly a lot that can be said about a Christian's response here and our responsibility in cooperating with God's spirit and his work here, the one response that I want to finish by highlighting for us this morning is thankfulness. If you notice that at the end of the text, it's actually dropped in there three times, that we as the body of Christ are to be thankful, that we personally are to have heartfelt thankfulness, and that there should be a characteristic of thankfulness in our obedience. Thankfulness. I remember my grandmother always reminding me to have an attitude of gratitude, right? I don't know if your grandmother told you that, but if she did, she was a wise woman, right? Have an attitude of gratitude. Sometimes difficult words to employ, but ones that make so much sense for a follower of Jesus Christ. Someone who gets to enjoy the best way of living east of Eden. One who is entirely secure forever in Jesus, and one who has such a glorious future to look forward to. Again, C.S. Lewis helps us with this here, and you can only guess which book I've been reading lately, or who, what author I've been reading lately, I should say. He says, we ought to give thanks for all fortune, if it is good, because it is good, if bad, because it works in us patience, humility, and the contempt of this world, and the hope of our eternal country. Thankfulness is a powerful force at helping us to put on what is needed and to avoid what should be left off. And friends, if that's your attitude of heartfelt gratitude, does that come out in your singing? Does that come out in the way that you look at God's word? Does it come out in the way that you live your life? Does that come out? There are we are obeying out of gratitude for what has already been done for us by Christ, so that we already are, who, we who are already totally accepted, can enjoy a new way of living. Don't underestimate the power of thankfulness. It tends to be the motor that propels us in our Christian life. So don't be afraid to sing in worship, even as you're driving your car home today. Don't be afraid of celebrating spiritual milestones and victories. And this morning, as we close our time together in one final song, don't be afraid of letting that thankfulness out. Sing in response to this truth. Be thankful that the gospel 
has changed you, and that thankfully, it still calls for our change. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, Lord, you are a good Father. We know that you have loved us, you have watched over us. Father, even as the team is coming now, as we have the opportunity just to respond to you in worship, Lord, we know that that we want you to be our focus. (laughs) God, we want you to be the one that we are having our hearts shaped and molded by. We want your thankfulness to be the earmark of who we are as followers of Christ. Lord, we want you to be the one who's changing out our vases, to change out the broken spots, the spots where we have been looking to everybody else for acceptance except for you. And God, we want to come to you the one who has accepted us in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our mess, in the midst of our failures, and hasn't denied any of them, but accepted us because of what Christ's success and what his merits were accounted for on our behalf. And Father, for the places where we are hurting and where we need to change, we invite your Holy Spirit, God, to work within us that we may cooperate with him in this work, and see the change that's desperately needed in our lives and in the lives of those we love. So, Lord, do that work, and may we respond to it with the thankfulness that you've invited us to have. I pray all these things in your Son, Jesus' mighty and powerful name. Amen.